So first off, thank you for taking your time to speak with me and the radio. So, and also my name is Ruby Red Louise Seiwert and I'm here interviewing for WNSR, the new school radio. So let's dive right in. And I did a little bit background info on you. So first off, did you always intend to pursue math? Because you're a mathematician. That's an interesting question. Um, I had many wish careers when I was little, um, but I think my longest desire was to be an art historian. Um, I've always loved visual arts and I've read art history and art criticism all through uh, my years growing up. I didn't fall in love with mathematics until I, until I started to take university classes. And then I fell in love with the abstract reasoning and the way mathematics uses language. So I think I fell in love with it through the arts. That's really, that's really awesome. So another math question that kind of pairs with that one. How has math shaped the way that you view the world? Pretty big one. Yes, it is. You know, I think one of the things that, that I like about mathematics is the precision of its language and the way it takes intuitive ideas and finds ways to kind of formalize them and make them precise and then think about them. But at the same time, I like the world really ambiguous. And I think I like the, I like, the more I do math, the more I like the ambiguity of the world. So I like to hold those two things in, um, I don't know, in parallel, because I, I think um, it, they work together well. You know, you, you do your little, you, you sort of abstract, you, do your mathematics and then you sort of try to extrapolate the math back into the real world and then you realize to some extent it works and to some extent it doesn't and that I like the beauty of that. An existentialist a little bit. Maybe. <laughs> um, so what other significant influences have shaped your worldview? That's a very broad question. I, you can, and I, you, can take, you can take these questions as you will, you know? Hmm. All right. Give me an example of what kind of category of thing you're thinking about. I guess that's a very mathematical response, but <laughs> tell me. Well, I mean, you talked about how you want to be an art historian and your interest mm -hmm. in artists, like, or just like special things in your life that has shaped you, you know, or maybe a place you visited or a mentor or something like that. I've never had a lot of mentors, but I've always been interested in cultural history broadly. Uh, I've done a little bit of traveling, not huge amounts, but I've always read a lot from different periods of time. One of the things that I think is interesting about studying math is it's one of the few areas where you learn completely ahistorically. So mathematics has a history, but when you're learning math, you don't learn that history. You just learn sort of you know, one theorem and then a proof and then a problem you work on and so on. And, and so you don't really get a sense of how mathematics developed over time. It's something it's taken me a while to learn and being able to slot the history of math in with the history that I know of the world's developing has been really interesting for me to sort of map it out in time and place. So I guess I'm not quite sure how to answer your question, but- um, there's, there's no wrong yeah. answers. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, why I like it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So what drew you to Lang and the new school? Uh, I came out of a, re, a PhD program that was very research 
focused. And um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue to do research. You know, mathematics is a very male dominated profession. And I never felt like I um, experienced any overt sexism, but it felt very isolating to be a woman in mathematics. So anyway, when I came out of my program, I wasn't sure I wanted to stay in mathematics. So I spent 10 years um, teaching in a small college in Pennsylvania while I sort of thought about what I wanted to do. And then when the opportunity came to teach at Lang, I loved the, um, the curriculum in general, the interdisciplinarity of it, the fact that I would be working with lots of colleagues who weren't mathematicians, uh, and the fact that it, there was, there's a lot of creative freedom. You know, I get to invent new courses all the time. That's something no other mathematicians get to do. They're teaching calculus one, calculus two, differential equations. It's a very prescribed curriculum, and I get to do all sorts of different things. What's an example course that you created? I'm interested. Uh, I'll give you two. One uh, is ethnomathematics, which is a little, right? And no one's ever heard of that word before, but it's a, it's a combination of a history of math and an understanding that, and sort of anthropology of math and an understanding that all cultures have mathematical thinking in them. And so it uh, focuses on thematic things like how do different cultures think about time? How do they organize their calendars? Um, how do they think about space? How do they think about family relations? How do they think about visual pattern making? So these are all mathematical things, but we study in the context of different kinds of people. So that's one class. And then the other class that I might mention is in the area that I ended up working in, which has to do with um, fairness. So sometimes it's called fair division. Sometimes it's called decision theory. It's about how do you share resources? How do you make decisions? How do you do things like vote in a fair ways? And so I've developed a couple of courses around the idea of fairness. That I am, I have always had a hard time with math, but those courses, I would like to take those. That's, I would I would love to have you in class. <laughs> that yeah. is really cool. I mean, I might hold you to it there. So, what what is your best Lang hack or insider tip that you have figured out working? Um, a hack for me as a faculty member, or a hack for students. Let's go with students. Students. So one of the things, maybe this works for anybody, but what I've noticed is that everyone at Lang and everyone at the new school is really interesting. And you talk to them just briefly and they're so full of interesting ideas and you think, oh, that's great. Let's get together and talk about it. And then everyone is doing twice as much stuff as they have time for. I think that's true of students, faculty, everybody. So I guess my hack would be to don't wait for them to get back to you. You know, if you really want to pursue it, you have to reach out and sort of force them to say, look, let's go out for coffee. In the days when we could go out for coffee, let's go out for coffee and see if we could figure out, you know, one thing we could do together. Awesome. So what keeps you here at Lang? Like what draws you? I mean, that, I feel like that question kind of answered it, the interesting people in the previous yep what you said the freedom of the courses i think it's continued to be that that way okay so you've been the associate dean for some time how mm -hmm. has this helped you prepare yourself for this transition a couple of ways i think 
So the, my particular title was Associate Dean for Faculty Affairs. And what that is concerned with is sort of overseeing the role of faculty at Lang. It's a little bit about professional development, making sure that faculty have the resources they need to teach. Um, also about supporting faculty research. So one of the things that allowed me to do was to get to know a lot more about what faculty do, which also gives me insight into what kind of curriculum we have, what kind of courses we have, what kind of students we have. So that's part of it. And the other part is um, the person who is Associate Dean of Faculty Affairs works in the Lang Dean's office. So I, I met regularly with our former Dean, Stephanie Browner, and others at the Lang Dean's office to think about the college more broadly, to think about enrollment, to think about extracurricular programs, to think about special programs that we wanted to start. So I sort of was involved in those discussions at a college-wide level for the last couple of years. And then most recently, since um, March, when we all had to go online, um, I was helping out a lot in making sure that faculty had all the resources they need to manage to teach remotely. Tough job. It was fast. Yeah. We all had to work, everyone, you know, I think faculty, staff, students, we all had to scramble to figure out how to do it very quickly. Totally. So how do you, as an individual, view the role of a dean? And what are you hoping to accomplish? Um, so I think, you know, the, in one sense, the dean is kind of like the head of the academic program of a college, um, meaning that they sort of have a broad view uh, and um, a, uh, a role in supporting and make sure, ensuring that um, the programs that the college offers are true to its mission and have the support they need to be successful. So that's part of it, is um, helping to support the sort of central academic mission of the college. The other part is representing Lang outward. So in the, either outward, like to, in um, working with the other divisions of the new school or just working out into the community. I did a webinar last week at the end of the week uh, for families. So this was families of um, first and second year students who wanted to know, get, get a sense of how we were doing with our online education and what the plans were for spring. So I was there to sort of give them an insight into how things are working and the plans for the spring semester. So I, I was representing the college outwards to parents of prospective and newly starting students. Um, as far as what I want to do personally, it's a little hard to, I have, well, I have some ideas. The thing about being interim dean is that you are, you're not necessarily doing it for a lengthy period of time. And so one of your main goals is to make sure the ship doesn't sink while you're manning it. Uh, that's a terribly sexist metaphor. While you're running it, I guess, um, to make sure it just keeps going. Thank you. <laughs> um, but there's, so there's a couple of things. Um, we had a meeting over the summer, the faculty and staff an anti-oppression meeting, where we talked about ways we as a college and individuals could help support anti-oppression goals in the classroom and in the way we are with each other and in the things that we, the um, outside of class activities that we help students do. Um, so that requires some follow-up. We had some preliminary discussions in the summer. So I am one of the, um, 
aspects of my role is co-chairing the Social Justice Committee with Natalie Gross, our Director of Civic Engagement and Social Justice. So she and I run the Social Justice Committee and one of our goals for the fall is to take on the next steps for the anti-oppression work that came out of the summer. I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes and seeing the results. Yes. So what do you think has been the greatest challenge of the pandemic for the school and then also for you personally? I think one, one thing we know about why students choose Lang is because they want to be in the small seminar classroom where they can really interact with their peers and with the faculty member. Yeah. And yes, that's me. That's you. Yeah. And I think it's faculty, it's most faculty too. And so I think we all had concerns that that would, that sense of community and intimacy would be lost in the online environment. And, you know, I think to a little bit of an extent that's true. You know, we are finding ways to make up for it in our Zoom conversations and in some of the other things we're doing online. Um, but I think that is the ongoing biggest challenge, how to make sure that we feel like we're in community, for sure. Totally. Yeah. What was the, there was a second part to that question. I don't remember. Um, just for you personally with the pandemic. Yeah, I think it's the same thing for me, both in my class and also working with colleagues. I think we all miss the fact that you could just walk down the corridor and meet someone and have a conversation with them. It sparks ideas. And it's also a good way to get things done and find out what's happening. And I think we all experience that loss in different ways. Yeah, I, I miss the, I miss just being in the building, you know, and walking to class and, mm -hmm. and all that. I miss the courtyard and the, you know, totally. the cafeteria and the reading room, just, yeah, being there. Just, just the, the energy that mm -hmm. comes and it's just definitely hard to get that through a screen, but I've got faith. So how do you perce perceive Lang's future moving forward? That's a good question. That's, it's hard to predict, but I think that the things that, that have drawn people to Lang in the past will continue to. It's hard to envision a future after this pandemic when we will all gather in person in New York City, but I believe it will happen and that we will really be particularly grateful to be back together in, in physical presence and in community together. I think we have learned something about being online, um, that there are certain things that work well. I mean, one thing, one thing about being online is that when you need to have a gathering of many people, it's much easier to gather people in Zoom for a for a, a meeting or a lecture, if you want to invite someone to class, it's easier to get someone if we're all meeting in the virtual world. Um, but at its core, I think a Lang education is being together physically and taking advantage of the city and all of its resources there. So I imagine us being newly appreciative of that, finding ways to really connect to the city I would imagine too, you know, we are, it seems like we are about to go through a pretty severe economic recession. So finding ways that Lang community can reach out to local organizations and help rethink the city's future, that makes it sound a little grandiose, but in our, in our small ways, finding ways to help build back some of that um, strength. Yeah, small, small scale and mm -hmm. just get with the community. I'm a big fan of that. And I think that's, a lot of the students' core values too. 
is giving back and because we love this city. So we want it, want to help it keep pushing. Agreed. So that I'm done with, we're done with the written out questions, but if you have anything else you want to share or add? I wouldn't mind asking you what it's been like working in the radio since the pandemic. Well, I love it a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't working in it before. This is my first semester or trimester. Um, it's definitely hard pulling it all together, you know, as is any class, because I am an in-person person. But I think it actually works a little bit better with this class, not as best as it would be, you know, if we were in person, but just because it is audio, you can call people, you can talk on the phone, but I would definitely appreciate being able to go sit in class, use the program, walk up to my teacher. But overall, I'm just super thankful that I'm still able to be in school. And I'm still, I'm able to interview you, so it's, it's not working out too bad, you know, it's pretty good. Can I ask a, a related question? What, what does working in the radio teach you about the new school? Like, does it, are there some ways that you learn about how to report about a community? I think yes. And I don't think that I've had enough time working to fully answer that in the right way, but it's definitely, it's starting to teach my brain, yeah. Who do I go to? How do I route the conversation? What type of information do I need prior? But I think that, and it's just nice that we have a radio station, you know, to present localized information for our community. So I think it's really beneficial. And I'm, I'm glad that I'm doing it. And I still, I still have a lot to learn. That's good. This is, Any this is my first interview. Wow, excellent. You're doing a great job as far as I Thank can tell. You. Although I feel like I've done most of the talking. A little trade-off. Yeah. It's not a podcast, you know. <laughs> it could be. Yes, yes. There was something I was going to say in relation to that. I guess, you know, I, I think anything, you know, what there's a there's a cliche about some anything that's worth doing is worth working at. Uh, maybe I'm I'm misquoting that, but I think the fact that you're saying you're still learning about it, I mean, I think shows that there is a lot of value out of this medium, and that there are ways to so make much. it to always make it better. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think this is something just radio needs to be preserved forever, and it's just really important sometimes people don't have access to visuals all the time mm -hmm. and turning on the radio is something different entirely than turning on the tv so and i think it's, it's crucial for any any community you know and i'm actually i've been getting interested in it and i live in bushwick so i'm trying to find you know local bushwick radio stations and all that all that jazz yeah so That's i'm excited nice. for this class for sure can I ask you one last question? Like, how was your experience of being remote this semester? But if you had that to describe is, it, yeah. Difficult mm -hmm. to say the least, but also still rewarding 
I'm definitely, I did not grow up with computers at all. I was always playing outside, eating dirt. And I was drawn to Lang because of going to museums and people coming in and small classes. So it's definitely, and I am neurodivergent, have a little bit of ADHD in there. So it's been hard for me to figure out how to really retain and sort the information because it's all coming from one place and just one there's like a major disconnect and my brain needs the going into classes so I would say it's difficult in a way that I'm having to learn how to learn in another way so that's my and I'm also just again like I'm so thankful that I still get to be in school because some kids can't and I really am trying to work it as best I can. But like, for example, my little brother, who's 15, he loves it. He loves the online learning and he's really succeeding a lot more than he was when he was in school. So I think it just really depends on the type of person you are. But I like being in person, but I'm also thankful for the, for the screen time too. Yes. I imagine that sentiment is held by a lot of people in different ways. Um, we are all adjusting to learning in this way, but the fact that we're all doing it together means we still value, value the experience and we're grateful to be able to do it in whatever format we have, for sure. Yeah, the love for learning, mm -hmm. it's pretty big. Yeah, yeah. And then one, now I have a question for you just to cherry on top, what is, what is your favorite book that's in your bookshelf right now? Oh, no. Talk All right, to I, that's, that's an impossible question. So this one will make me sound really nerdy, but it is the one that's right here in front of me. This is a work-related book. It's called Fair Representation. It's written by two people who are sort of mathematicians slash economists. And it's a history of apportionment in the United States. And that means how do we, how do we figure out um, how, this sounds very technical. How do we figure out how many representatives each state should have in the House of Representatives? It seems like a very simple question, but it actually is quite complex. And so this is a wonderful combination of history and political theory and a little bit of mathematics thrown in. So I'm not sure it's the favorite book in my bookshelf, but it is one I keep returning to in my classroom and in my work. And it is also written very beautifully. So if I were to write a book like this, it would be the way I would aspire to write it. Very special. I'm gonna look into it. And also just to comment, you said, this is gonna make me look nerdy, just for anybody who listens to this, being a nerd is the absolute best. I feel like everybody is, and it just means that you're like at least you're, you can be excited enough and passionate enough to be interested in something. Just, just it's a good word. I like it. Thank you. I I I appreciate it. So I I think I think that's all I have to offer you. Yeah. Yeah. For now. For but now. <laughs> for now, I'm holding you to it. But this um was a wonderful yeah a good meeting a lot of information. Thank you so much for your time again and. Spencer for scheduling this and I am excited to see it published. 
And I just want to thank you, Ruby. It was a fun conversation and really, and really great to hear about your own experiences at Lang and working on the radio station. So I look forward to hearing more from it and from you. Maybe, maybe I'll be in your class. Maybe. Excellent.